Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this, thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of The Cabin Queens. What did I clearly say? Children should fucking listen or you beat them. Uh, I'm Joe Gentile. And I really enjoy making poor life decisions. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. And we are at the class of 2014. Brandon, hi. Hello. How are you today? I'm all right. Anything fun, new, and exciting to tell everybody? Um, not sure about fun, new, and exciting, but uh, things are shaking up at my day job. My Trump-loving manager is leaving, so that's always fun. Yes, you kept us up to date on those tweets. What yes. did you have writing on that card? Oh, I just wrote some generic thanks for keeping this ship afloat nonsense and then just wrote my name. Because technically she does do a good job. She is a very competent person when it comes to the work that she does. Um, but her um, political um, ideology is the questionable part. So technically I didn't lie, but um, I decided not to be mean. Well, you're nicer than I am. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday was her last day, so when I go back tomorrow, uh, it'll be my first day without her there. It'll be interesting. Again, nicer than I am. Yeah. I would have been like, bye, cunt. Mm-hmm. I would have written, or written, what's she going to do, fire me? Well, she wouldn't have the authority to fire me. She was technically like my supervisor, being a manager, but she's not the manager who is actually in charge of hiring and firing. So she could suggest it, I suppose, and give evidence as to why I should be fired. But the decision ultimately would not have been hers anyway. Well, so long, farewell, Alvitas and my friend. Mm -hmm. Well, not my friend, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, um, 2014, what do we think of this year as a whole? Um, to be honest, I'm a little bit ambivalent uh, about, about it as a whole. Mostly the supporting lineup, to be honest. There isn't really anyone in the supporting lineup that I love. Or I should say there's no performance in the supporting lineup that I love. Um, lead has a couple things I like. But all the, on the whole, I'm a little bit wishy-washy on 2014. Yeah, this was a year that was so clear-cut on who, what was taking what. The only big like races that were interesting were actor... Uh, because it was Keaton versus Redmayne and then Picture because it was Boyhood versus uh, Birdman. Um, I know I was very much team Birdman. What about you? At the time, I was more into Birdman on the night. Ooh, so does that mean you you have gone over to the dark side? Um, I don't actually have a clear winner in my mind when it comes to those two, but um, having rewatched Boyhood, I have more respect for it now than I did in 2014. Or 15, whenever it was that I watched it. So um, it was my first time rewatching it in like four or five years. So um, I got a little bit more out of it this time than I did before. Interesting. All right. And before we get started, where do you think we're going here? You first this time. Um, in supporting, I have a feeling about Meryl Streep for some reason and Into the Woods. So I'm just going to go with Meryl Streep. Uh, in lead, 
I have a feeling uh, Reese Witherspoon. So I guess Reese and Meryl. Wow. Okay. I don't know. Um, for supporting... You know what? I'm going to say Laura Dern. I just have this feeling that Laura Dern really touched you in only a way that Laura Dern could. Um, for lead... I could see you being into Marianne Cotillard. I mean, you really liked her the last time we talked about her. Um, I don't know. You could also just like the winners as is. Uh, you don't know. No, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to go Marianne Cotillard and uh, Laura Dern for you. Okay. All righty. Well, uh, the supporting actress nominees from 2014 were... Patricia Arquette, Boyhood. Let's start with our winner for the year, Patricia Arquette, winning for Boyhood. This is so far her first and only win and nomination. Going into this, she was uh, pretty much a front runner on paper as she takes the Golden Globe, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, Spirit Award, Los Angeles Film Critics, New York Film Critics, and the National Society of Film Critics. Uh, the only thing she really loses that's a semi-important precursor is Gotham, I suppose. In Boyhood, Patricia Arquette plays Olivia a mother struggling to raise her two children while trying to put herself through school and create a better life for her family. So how do you feel about Patricia Arquette and Boyhood? So the thing is, is like, I loved Patricia Arquette always. I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, when, you know, she debuted and True Romance and, you know, along the years, I thought she was a really great actress who never really got her due. And then Boyhood comes along. And now, so I watched Boyhood. It was one of the very first, like, screeners I remember, like, seeing. And I was so excited for it. You know, I had some hype on it. I go into this movie, and I was like, this is fucking trash. This is a gimmick movie that is literally, its whole selling point was being um, shot over X amount of years. When it wasn't even the first film to do that, um, uh, uh, what's oh, fuck? What's his name for coffee and cigarettes? The guy who directed the Jim uh, Jarmusch. Yes, Jim Jarmusch. Jim Jarmusch, I think, was from my research the first one to do that. I could be wrong, but I was just like, "What is this movie? Why? Why do people like it so much? What is it?" And then I got to Patricia Arquette's performance, and I'm just like, "This is just an overly stupidly dramatic soap opera performance." Like the scene that really sticks out to me. There's that awful awful scene where her son comes home and she's laying in the garage but you can tell it is so staged because it's the way she's laying and reacting to what supposedly is happening is like that okay you're mark three two one ah! like it's just bad and the fact that she was such the like she was the front runner here there was really no getting around this one 
I don't get it. I don't get what people think about why they like this movie. It's not anything new. It's a gimmick movie. It's boring as fuck. The performances are mediocre at best. And Arquette, as much as I love her, if you're going to give her an Oscar nomination, it should have been in 1999 for Stigmata. That is an Oscar-worthy performance. This is daytime Emmy soap opera realness. Period. How about you? If I had spoken to you five years ago, I would have agreed. Uh, I got more out of it this time. Um, with, while watching it this last time around, I gathered the exhaustion in this character and how hard she is trying to make things work when her whole life is sort of rigged against her. Especially when you juxtapose the parenting of her and her ex, uh, played by Ethan Hawke. She basically has the brunt of the parenting, having the children most of the time and paying for most things and all the stress that comes with that. And then he comes along every other week, every month or whatever, and he's super dad. And I think you you can tell how almost resentful she is at that, um, how much the children enjoy being with him versus being with her because he's able to do so much more with them, like take them places and buy them things, when all that she can really afford to give them is the groceries and paying the bills that keeps the lights on. And over time, um, she struggles more and more, as especially as she's trying to put herself through school to become, I think it was a psych psychologist or a social worker, whatever it was she was working toward. And um, she comes in and out of these really horrible relationships that take their toll on her as well and I gathered a very it didn't it honestly didn't feel like acting when I was watching it this last time it honestly felt like she was just going through it that she was just a woman in this situation it didn't strike me in any way going around this last time that she was really performing and maybe it's it's taken, you know, a huge gap in time and a second time watching it for that to click. Um, the movie as a whole just didn't work for me the first time. Um, I also just was in that same boat of feeling like it was a, a gimmicky movie. But I think it kind of works. And it is an achievement in filmmaking. It doesn't have to be the first one to do it in order to be successful. And um, I think Patricia Arquette is quite good here. Um, I don't love it per se. Um, like I said, I'm pre pretty ambivalent toward this entire lineup for the most part, but I think she is doing pretty well here, um, given what she has to do and the evolution of this character over time, which she had the unique benefit of having literal time to craft this character and um, figure out where she would be at these different stages of her life and having the time in between to sort of work with Richard Linklater and figure out where it is that she's going and where she would be at any given moment. So um, I think she's doing some pretty fine work here. Uh, I know a lot of people just don't care for Patricia Arquette as a whole. Just she's, she's one of those performers I feel like is very divisive with a lot of people. And there's some things that she does that I'm not fully on board with. But here um, on this latest watch of Boyhood, I'm I'm more so um, okay with her than I was the last time. Um, 
I had a follow-up question to that, and now I can't think of it for you. Maybe it'll come back to me. Okay. So our next nominee is Laura Dern, nominated for Wild. This is her second of three nominations. Uh, we haven't talked about her for a while because her last nomination was in 1991 for Rambling Rose. Going into this, she does not really win anything major, and she doesn't really get nominated for much major uh, stuff. She gets some regional film critics uh, loving her, including the Chicago, Detroit, Dallas, and Washington, D.C. film critics. In Wild, Laura Dern plays Bobby, the mother of Reese Witherspoon's Cheryl, whose death greatly affects her daughter and her daughter's behavior. So um, how do you feel about Laura Dern and Wild? Okay, so I like Wild as a movie. I, I think it's a great great film. I think Jean-Marc Vallée did really beautiful work here. And okay, so side note, despite the issues that his film the year before Dallas Buyers Club might have had, I think as a whole, it's a really good film. And I think this is a, also a really good film. So he was like two and two or, or two and oh for me for these Oscar films. Um, and then, of course, he followed this with Big Little Lies. And the first season was amazing. That second season can kick rocks. But um this is wonderful. I, Bobby, okay, I've said it before. If you were going to have a, a small part, you really have to do something with it. And I think Dern here is the perfect example about how you can exactly show off your talent with such little to do. Um, Bobby is such a small part in this. Bobby is such a small role. But in reality, she is the movie. She is the reason why Reese's character, who, who, which we'll get to in the next uh, segment, um, goes on this journey or is the beginning reason she goes on this journey. And yes, there's that weird, like, I don't buy for a second that these two women who are literally probably only like, what, five years apart in life. Like, I just thought that was an interesting way I, I like some people might say Laura Dern is too young for this part or Reese Witherspoon was too old for her part, but I weirdly buy it, which I think is odd because I don't buy a lot of age differences for, with films unless they're done right. Like Toe Pool, for an example, in Fiddler on the Roof was like 34 when he played a 55 year old. Like that was believable because of A, the makeup and B, it just worked. This doesn't, um, but I believe it. Does that make sense? Sure. So with that said, when her mother or when Bobby dies, I feel that pain. I've seen this movie so many times. I actually just bought it on Blu-ray. Uh, the, fam the family video over on Triscuit in Cleveland shut down so that it was like a dollar. I'm like, yes, score. Um, and uh, I still cry every time when Reese and the brother go to check on Bobby and the nurse was like, she wanted to donate her eyes. And just like, oh my God, because Dern is so good here that she makes you care about this character. And she's only got nine minutes and 36 seconds of screen time. That is 8.32% of screen time. Thank you, Screen Time Central and Matthew Stewart. Um, but yeah, this is brilliant. I was very happy to see her. I would have really loved this to have been an upset win because I think it, it was just beautifully done uh thoughts i also pretty much like laura dern here in wild i feel like this is a nomination that gets um made fun of a lot people think this is like the epitome of a coattail and uh they th 
think that Laura Dern's not doing anything. And I, that couldn't be further from the truth for me. I think she is fantastic here with um, the limited amount of screen time that she has to work with. She creates a fully fleshed out character with Bobby and you get a pretty strong impression of why her death would leave such a strong impression on Cheryl's life. Uh, Laura Dern is lovely and warm and wild in her own way in this film. Uh, I love when she's going back to school and uh, she and her daughter are pretty much like in the same classes or they're passing each other in the hallway and uh, Bobby thinks it's great and Cheryl's low-key embarrassed. Um, that's a really fun moment. And then you get the, the at-home time when uh, Bobby's, you know, working on her report, her paper that she has to do, but then her son comes in and wants food and she decides to make food instead of working on her homework. And um, to the chagrin of Cheryl, who just wants her mom to succeed. Uh, but Laura Dern is so lovely in this that, of course, she's not going to turn down the opportunity to make her son some food that he could very well make himself because he's practically an adult. She just is that kind of person. And I think she is pretty great here. Uh, she might only have a handful of minutes, a small fraction of this film, but I think she finds a way to stand out. And when she does die, um, you feel similarly to Cheryl. Uh, it's clear the importance that this character had in the life of this person. And um, it makes sense why she would go down the path, uh, why Cheryl would go down the path that she eventually does. And this movie being told non-linearly, we can kind of see the pieces falling into place. And I think that was a pretty wise choice on the part of the filmmakers. And I think it actually helps um, Laura Dern craft this character. Uh, it helps the audience, I think, figure out for themselves why this person matters. And then, you know, Laura Dern comes along and creates a lovely, character with Bobby. So um, I think people who dismiss this nomination um, should probably rewatch Wild and really pay attention to what Laura Dern is doing and how she really fits into the whole grand scheme of this movie. Um, yeah, I think you hit it on the nail or hit, wait, let me try that again. Hit the nail on the head. Uh, it's fantastic. So when I was watching this movie a couple weeks ago, um, something occurred to me that I don't think we've mentioned on this show in a while. Would you consider Laura Dern in Wild an example of the Penelope Milford effect? The Penelope Milford effect. Oh, really throwing this back. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. She is that prime example of a supporting role, moving the story along where it needs to go without taking focus from the main person and doing it fucking brilliantly. Yeah, I would agree. That's pretty much um, what I thought while watching the movie. Mm -hmm. um, from Jenny Schmidt, 44, had Dern won for a performance this year in Wild, do you still think she would have had such a lock on the Oscar this past year for Marriage Story? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, those are always difficult to answer for certain, but I suppose if she had won, there wouldn't be the, the urgency to reward her again. Maybe there's a few people who might think to themselves, oh, she just won and pretty recently, and maybe we don't need to reward her again so soon. Uh, but then who knows, maybe she really was the favorite among those five in 2019. So perhaps she still would have won, but maybe not by, maybe she still would have won, but not by 
that margin? Yeah, the, the, this question is always weird to answer, like you said. I, I think you hit it perfectly, so I'll just leave it at that. Our third supporting actress nominee is Kira Knightley, nominated for The Imitation Game. This is her second of two nominations, having been up for Pride and Prejudice about a decade prior. She doesn't really win anything major going into this, uh, but she is recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, and Critics' Choice. In The Imitation Game, Kira Knightley plays Joan Clark, a brilliant problem solver who passes Alan Turing's cryptography test and joins his team of Nazi codebreakers. So how do you feel about Kira Knightley in The Imitation Game? So I really like Knightley here. Um, I think this is a great performance by her. Um, I actually remember originally seeing this movie. I couldn't figure out at that time. I was like, why is she in supporting? And then I was like, uh, maybe she's the lead. And then I'm glad that I revisited this because I was like, yeah, she's definitely supporting here. Um, I think this is a great role for her. I mean, of course, Kira Knightley lives in period pieces. Um, she did a great movie that the same year called Laggies, which have you seen that? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, Laggies, she's great. And first of all, she, I, 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 I'm so thrown when I hear Kira Knightley's American accent because I'm just like, that's not you. And then like when I see her in modern day clothing, I think it's really interesting. But um, so, you know, this is a nice, Kira Knightley performance that I enjoyed a lot. Um, I was surprised this, I'm, I mean, again, Arquette just had such a lock on this year that no one else really had a chance to get any word in. But I think this is such a great performance that it really just got overlooked with everything else, you know? Um, I think she's moving the story along. She's heartbreaking. She really stands with Benedict Cumberbatch really well here. Um, you root for her, you cheer for her, you, I mean, you, you get the whole spectrum from her. I honestly think you get the whole spectrum from her except for the angry adjectives, you know? Because there's not a moment where you don't, or where you dislike this character. Um, I really appreciate what she did here, and I think this is a great second nomination. I was glad to see that she got a second um, because, you know, she was 19 when she got the, or 20 when she got the one for Pride and Prejudice. And, uh, you know, it took nine years, but she came back. So hopefully she'll come back again. Yeah, I think she's pretty good here in the imitation game as well. Um, I know there's a lot of people who seem to think she's in the wrong category. So when I went to rewatch this, um, I was kind of thinking about that. And I think she's perfectly fine being in supporting. Um, I don't see any reason for why she would need to be in lead at all. So I think this is perfectly okay. And I think she's doing really well in this film. It's a pretty, um, uh, I guess, understated is an okay way of putting it. It's not a performance that necessarily makes itself known. Every time she's on screen, uh, she's not a performer who um, craves uh, domination in her scenes with her co-stars. I don't get this impression that Keira Knightley is ever trying to upstage uh, Benedict Cumberbatch or whoever she's in a scene with. And I really respect that from a supporting player, especially one with the star power that Keira Knightley has. Jesus. I feel like that could very easily happen with um, another person of equal stardom, uh, magnitude is Kira Knightley. And um, I think she is able to give you a lot in this film in a way that's mostly subtle. I, for some reason, uh, I think it's in the trailer that was always playing at this time. Like when, she, when it's revealed that she passes the test and she's being recruited and she finds out it's to defeat the Nazis, she has this reaction where she's like, oh. And for some reason that just like became part of my 
lexicon at the time. Like anytime I was remotely surprised about anything, I would like mock Kira Knightley's line reading of, oh, and I don't know why. It was just so stupid. And so when I watched it again this last time, it gave me a little laugh. But um, that's just a, a dumb personal thing with me. But um, I really enjoy Kira Knightley in this. And um, it's not necessarily a performance that I think is spectacular. Um, but I think she uh, showed up and did her thing. And um, I don't really have any negatives to say. I feel like she, uh, she checked all the boxes. And um, her Joan is a pretty solid uh, performance. Yeah, it's funny that O is, it's kind of like when you think back to Helen Mirren with the queen with what beauty, but it actually works. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate it. Yeah, that O makes perfect sense in context. And it didn't stick out to me in a bad way where it just sounded phony. It was just a, it felt like a natural reaction to hearing that you're about to help defeat the Nazis. And that's not at all what she was expecting to be doing. And, uh. That's how she uh, expressed her her shock, and I think it, it worked. Absolutely. Our next supporting actress is Emma Stone, nominated for Birdman. This is her first of three nominations. The only precursor that she kind of sort of wins is the SAG Ensemble Award. She's part of that ensemble, so I guess you could call that a, a win in a way. But as a solo performer, uh, she's only really nominated for the Globe BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, and a Spirit Award. In Birdman, Emma Stone plays Sam, the daughter of Michael Keaton's Regan Thompson, who has been hired as a production assistant on the Broadway play that he is a part of just as she has come out of drug rehab. So how do you feel about Emma Stone and Birdman? So... Like I said earlier, I really like Birdman as a whole. I think it's a great movie. I think the performances are really, really good. And I, this was, again, not to sound like a broken record, but I, I was like, how is this not getting more traction, this performance um, this year? You know, of course, again, Patricia Arquette. Revisiting Birdman over the years, though, it's interesting because I feel like after this has aged a little bit and we've seen more from Emma Stone, um, this doesn't really age well with her. I don't know how to say this other and it's not shade, but with her like acting abilities, because I feel like what, how many years later is this? Six years. So six years later, it just feels like she's really aching for that Oscar scene, especially in the moment where she blows up with her father, which is kind of her big scene. Um, because her character just, it's always angry. She's just always angry. She's mad at the world. Nothing's ever right. Um, so it almost becomes like a shtick after a while, um, which is weird, too, because I remember, like, hearing that if anyone was going to upset Arquette, it would have been Stone. And I just wonder, like, had she had done that, how this would have aged as a win. How about you? I feel uh, similar in, to you. I think when you watch Birdman, you can see the growth in Emma Stone as an actor. I think she was great back then. Um, she had done great work prior to this and I still I think her work in Birdman is perfectly good but seeing what she's done in the years since um, you can see how she's honing her craft um, I think she does pretty well with what Inyaritu is giving her to do that you know big explosive scene is pretty much like a textbook Oscar scene and she plays it well I'm not going to hold it against her that she was given an Oscar scene on a platter and she ran with it I think she did pretty decent with it. 
Um, I don't think she's quite so angry all the time. I really enjoy her quieter moments with um, the Edward Norton character. Um, like when they first meet and he has his weird, awkward, I guess you could call it flirtation, but it's borderline uh, misogyny. Actually, it is misogyny uh, when he like, makes that comment about her ass. And uh, later on, uh, they have that moment where they're out on um, like the balcony or a rooftop or something, and they play that little truth or dare game. And then it becomes a little bit more intimate between them. I think Emma Stone really excels in those quieter moments uh, when she's, you know, really searching for what exactly it is that this character wants and why she wants it and what effect it would have on her father, who she has a pretty unique relationship with. Um, but I think Emma Stone is pretty strong in this performance, um, in this film. And uh, I can see why some people would say she might be the one to upset I mean, there's a there's a lot of people who suspect, you know, the person who is in the best picture winner is always going to be, you know, positioned pretty well, assuming that there's a lot of people who voted straight tickets or whatever. We never really know anything uh, without the actual tallies. But um, I think Emma Stone is pretty solid, and I think it stands to reason that she could have been um, a runner-up or maybe a solid third. But, um, yeah, I think she's pretty solid in Birdman. Yeah, agreed. All right, our fifth and final supporting actress is Meryl Streep, nominated for Into the Woods. This is her 93rd of 94 Oscar nominations. Uh, going into this, she's recognized with the Golden Globes, SAG, Critics' Choice, and the AARP Movies for Grown-Ups Awards. In Into the Woods, Meryl Streep plays the witch, uh, a very materialistic lady who is big into curses and youth and beauty. So how do you feel about Meryl Streep and Into the Woods? You remember when we used to, uh, well, when, when I used to go through her, all of her nominations? Uh, that got old real quick. Um, okay, so this is a performance that gets shit on a lot. And I understand why. Into the Woods is not a good show. It's not a good show on stage. It's not a, it's not a good movie. This movie feels like it's runtime plus more. Um, and I get that. I mean, it's, 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 it, it's not good. Sondheim musicals aren't easy and many Sondheim musicals don't translate at all to film. And I think this was one of them. Um, with that said too, I have to also give credit where credit is due with this performance though, because, um, my friend Tasha, so, uh, Cleveland play or the, uh, Playhouse Square, she was in Into the Woods over the winter, and she played the witch. And the amount of work that goes into the witch alone, learning every syllable and everything has to be like this, because everything is sung, but it's spoken, and you have to, like, hit certain words. Like, that's not easy. So, like, major credit needs to go into the work that Meryl did here. Um She's good. This is not a bad Meryl nomination at all. Um, this is a hard and movie to get through in a terrible movie. But if you're going to watch Into the Woods, it's really from Meryl Streep. There's not one part where she's not selling the witch. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't understand. I understand but why this, again, this gets shit on. But people need to really reevaluate what goes into Sondheim. And to do Sondheim, because that's where the magic is. Um, and Meryl did it flawlessly. Um, 
I'm, I'm very impressed with this one. How about you? It is a pretty technical performance in a way, like you were saying. Um, I'm not exactly a musical theater person. I'm not an expert on Sondheim in any way. Pretty much all I really know about his work is what has been translated to the screen. I don't think I've ever seen one of his shows on stage. So um, I'm not going to pretend to be, you know, uh, an expert in that department. But um, watching Merrill and Into the Woods, you kind of do get that impression that this is a very precise performance. Um, it's very um, constructed on the page, the way she needs to speak and sing and move and all that. Um, the blocking, you know, is integral to how the delivery comes across and it all kind of comes together in a very masterful kind of way. And I think Meryl is doing pretty well with it. Um, I don't know if this is true, but apparently this movie took like 20 years or something to get made for the big screen. And I don't, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that Meryl was even attached to play the witch back in like the eighties when it was being talked about getting adapted. And um, if that's true, that's pretty cool, considering she did end up playing it like 20 years later. But um, yeah, I guess this, uh, in a way, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a role that was pretty near and dear to Meryl. Uh, maybe it's, you know, a personal favorite of hers. I'm not so sure. But um, she seems to be having a blast doing it, uh, despite the very technical late nature and how... Um, precise everything needs to be she does it in a very smooth way in a very you know effortless Meryl Streep sort of fashion where other people may have stumbled and uh, she makes it look like it's second nature and um, she has a pretty decent voice I believe it um, it works for the film and uh, it all really comes together in a in a way that um, I admire so I think uh, Meryl is pretty good in Into the Woods yeah, I know, too, at one point, even with the casting of this over the years, uh, I think I read that Cher, Goldie Hawn, and Sigourney Weaver were also attached to play the witch at some point. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this this movie took a long time to make. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, now that we got through the nominees, uh, Tim Bruns wants to know, favorite snubbed female co-stars of the following... He said, mine would be Carrie Coon and Gone Girl, but I also like Andrea Riseborough, uh, I can never pronounce her name, Andrea Riseborough and Birdman and Kristen Stewart and Still Alice. Who would you pick of those three? So even before you listed the options, Kristen Stewart came to mind. Um, I'm someone who really likes Kristen Stewart. Um, I didn't always. It, you know, it took uh, Clouds of Sills Maria and Personal Shopper to really get me to like her. And... Um, I don't remember how I felt about her when Still Alice first came out, but watching it again for this, I think she's doing some really beautiful work in Still Alice. And um, I think if she had been nominated for it, it would have been a perfectly worthy nomination. Um, so out of those three, I have to go with Carrie Coon and Gone Girl. I still think that Carrie Coon, that was like the moment that I knew, like, who is this woman? Why isn't she, you know, where could I see more of her? Um, I, to this day, as much as I love Birdman, I can never remember who Andrea Riseborough is in it. Like, I still feel like I could watch the movie and I'm like, where is she? So she's out. Um, and Kristen Stewart's great and still Alice. But out of those three, I would go Carrie Coon and Gone Girl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Carrie Coon is pretty good in Gone Girl. Yeah. So, 
All right. Uh, moving on. We have our lead nominees of 2014. They are... Marion Cotillard. Two days, one night. Felicity Jones. The theory of everything. Julianne Moore. Still Alice. Rosamund Pike. Gone Girls. Reese Witherspoon. Wild. All right. Let us start this year with Felicity Jones as Jane Hawking in The Fear of Everything. This is her sole nomination thus far. Um, she's the nominee everywhere. Golden Globes for Actress in a Drama, BAFTA for Lead, Critics' Choice for Lead, and uh, a SAG nomination. She gets two here, though, Actress and Cast. In The Fear of Everything, again, Felicity plays Jane, who is the woman who uh, Stephen Hawking falls in love with, stays through, and works through what happens to him uh, as they build their family and their life around them. Um, Brandon, Felicity, thoughts? Um, so I'm not too fond of this performance, or honestly, the film. I'm not a huge fan of the theory of everything. Uh, Felicity, I think, is doing okay. Um, it's not really a performance that I have specific negative thoughts on. I think she is, you know, just simply doing her job, and that's about all. I don't get an, any impression that she's really elevating the material or making the movie any more interesting with her performance. Um, she's really just kind of there for me. Um, I don't mind Felicity Jones as a performer. I've seen her in other things and I think she's pretty good. But for some reason, this is a pretty forgettable performance for me. Um, I really had to go and watch the movie again to really refresh my memory. And even having done that, it's still not very fresh in my mind what exactly she did that would be Oscar winning work for me. Um, it's just okay, in my opinion. Um, so I remember I saw this movie on in between a double shift, actually, at Valley View. Um, I was working as a waiter at one of the restaurants there in Cleveland. And I was like, great, Oscar time movies, cool. I remember leaving this movie in 2014, like hating it. I was like, this is terrible, awful, bad. And then I remember when Felicity Jones was getting all these nominations, I'm like, what the fuck? What? What? Like, what is going on here? So I like, I revisited this movie a couple months ago to get ready for this with this attitude. And I kind of left it the second time with the, the opposite feelings um, I enjoyed it a lot more. I think the score is beautiful in this movie. The cinematography is great. And Jones hit me on a whole other level now. And I think it's because I'm, I think it's like one of those things, like I'm like, I grew up a little bit and matured a little bit and was able to like really get what she's doing here because a lot of the work that she's doing, this is a subtle performance. And this is a lot of the work she's doing is emotional. And, um, it really changed my mind about this a lot. I was actually very surprised. I, I actually remember I revisited this and was like, oh my God, this is, I completely had it wrong on her. This is brilliant. 
Um, I think what she's doing here is heartbreaking. I think it's it's really touching. Um, I liked it. I like it a lot more. And I am no longer this is a wasted space of a nomination performance. Um, I like it a lot. And the only parts where I feel like I dug what she was doing is when she's pretty much a thank almost thankless caregiver to Hawking, where it feels like she's she's being treated as though she is secondary. Um, these little subtle moments, like you were saying, where she's responding to being unappreci unappreciated. Um, those stood out to me, those reactions. But as a whole, the performance just didn't really um, strike me in any meaningful way, I guess. No, I get it. You know, it, it's, it's funny because usually it's I go for the big ones and you're more into the subtle ones. So I think this is a great, great switch up. Um, we do have a question though from Juan Carlos Ojano. Felicity Jones, leader supporting. What category, boys? I'm okay with her in lead. Same. She has an hour of screen time. Like, yeah, she, she's too, she's too important. I feel to be put in supporting. And if she had been put in supporting, people would be crying category fraud. So, yep. Anything else on Felicity Jones? I don't think so. All right, let's move on to this year's winner. Julianne Moore as Alice Holland and Still Alice. This is her fifth of five nominations. Um, she's the one to beat. Golden Globe win, BAFTA win, uh, Critics' Choice win, Spirit win, uh, National Board of Review, and SAG. Her only nominations come from the National Society of Film Critics and the LA Film Critics Association. Um, in Still Alice, again, Julia Julianne plays Alice, who is a brilliant smart woman who one day wakes up and then realizes something's wrong. Turns out it's early onset dementia or Alzheimer's. It's one of the two. I totally just forgot all of a sudden. And it's the story about what happens to her and her family. So Brandon, what do you think? So I like this performance more than I think a lot of other people do. I feel like this is a win that gets um, made fun of a lot. Uh, people don't seem to respect this win on the internet. Um, I think Julianne Moore is doing some wonderful work here. Uh, the movie uh, has room for improvement. I mean, it's obviously a very low budget film doing what it, it's doing what it can um, within its means. Uh, people, you know, write it off as like a lifetime movie. And I suppose, you know, a movie about a woman with issues is always gonna get called a lifetime movie, which is low key sexist, but whatever. Um, but I think Julianne Moore is doing some pretty fine stuff here. Uh, I noticed watching it this most recent time that her smaller reaction shots that people don't seem to reference very often were the most effective moments for me. Uh, like there's a, a moment where her eldest daughter has just given birth and they're at the hospital visiting and she wants to hold her grandchild. And at this point in the film, it's pretty well known that she has early onset Alzheimer's and she's experiencing you know, everything that comes with that and her family is noticing things. And when she expresses um, this desire to hold her grandchild, her son-in-law has this moment where he's like frozen holding the child and kind of looks around like, uh, is it safe to give your mother the child? Like completely disregarding that she's a human being standing there who can witness this entire uh, conversation 
And uh, she has this moment where she's like, I know how to hold a baby. And I, I honestly kind of felt something in that moment. Because Julianne Moore's character in this is constantly being undercut as the movie goes on, as she, you know, succumbs more and more to her illness, um, people think less of her. And um, part of that, I think, is unconscious on their part. A lot of it is probably just them trying to look out for her or be well-meaning in their responses. But um, I think she she really feels the the disrespect or the the lowering of their respect for her. And um, I think those moments are where she really excels. Uh, I also think she's pretty effective in the moments that you would think of as like her, her Oscar scenes, like when she's trying to give her speech with the, with the paper and the highlighter. So she can't, um, so she doesn't forget uh, her words and all that and stays in the moment. Um, and her scenes with Kristen Stewart are honestly just beautiful. Um, I love her earlier scenes with her when Kristen Stewart's character comes back to visit and um, Julianne Moore still, you know, all mentally there for the most part. But that final scene with them when um, they're reading Angels in America and they're doing a little like dissection and analysis of the script and um, Alice has gotten to this point where she can't even really talk because her, her brain has sort of forgotten how to send those signals to her muscles and all that. Um, I think it's really effective. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's kind of rude when people uh, write off this Julianne Moore performance. Um, I think, I have a feeling that when it comes to this race, there was just a lot of fatigue that went into Oscar night, you know, with Arquette and Moore being pretty dominant in their fields. Uh, I have a feeling that that affected people's opinions of the performances negatively. And um, looking at it for what it is, I think Julianne Moore is doing some pretty fine work. And I actually don't mind that she won her Oscar for this. Yeah, this is a performance that I 100% understand why she won. I'm not... I'm not angry that Julianne Moore has one. You know, I think this is a worthy performance. This film is such a downer, though. Like, we know what's going to happen. We know, you know, that it is 100% not going to end in a happy place, you know? So it, that holds heavy on the film experience. Um, with that said... Um, I like this. I, I don't have anything bad to say. I mean, I think you you said it beautifully. I almost don't want to, like, you know, add anything else to it because I think you said it perfectly. But, yeah, this is this is just not a performance or a film where you, like, walk out feeling great. And I think that's, like, the downside of this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a movie you have to be prepared for going into it because it, it is it is a downer. Um, but if you know what it's about, you know, it's going in that direction. Um, and also if you have a personal connection to the subject matter, I can understand why it might hit in a different way or why someone might not even want to watch it at all. So, um, so yeah, it's definitely one that I think a lot of people probably need to be uh, ready for 
when they go into it. So I think Julianne Moore is doing some very careful yeah. work here. Yep. Um, we do have a question about this from uh, Christoph. Did Julianne Moore, now just thinking of the win itself, did Julianne Moore win for the right performance or was she more deserving in Maps to the Stars? Um, I've only seen Maps to the Stars once. It was back when it came out. Um, it's a completely different movie, a completely different type of performance. And I'm trying to remember, I, I don't even think they'd be in the same category. I'm trying to remember if Maps to the Stars is more supporting. Uh, but it's been literally five years, so I can't say for certain. But um, I think Maps to the Stars is more my cup of tea. It's the type of movie and performance that I'm going to you know, sit down and watch. I'm more likely to watch. Um, if I'd be thrilled if she had been double nominated again. That'd be pretty rad. But um, I, like I said, I'm okay with the still Alice win. Yeah, it's funny because Maps of the Stars is like fun, but it, it's also weird because who is it? Cronenberg? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it, it, this is an, another movie that just feels like, I don't know if it's like the effects of it or the way it's shot with the camera. It just feels like a, it almost feels like a, what is it, Inland Empire or something? The David Lynch film, the yeah. way it's shot. And it's so funny because like the, the effects of being on fire is just weird. And of course, then you have the awesome Carrie Fisher, bless that queen soul uh, moment. So I, I don't know. I just, I don't think she was worthy of a win for Maps of the Stars in anywhere. But that's, yeah. So I think she won for the right performance. Yeah, to answer that question. Yeah. All right, moving on. We have Rosamund Pike as Amy Dunn in Gone Girl. This is her sole nomination thus far. Going into Oscar, she has a Golden Globe nomination, a BAFTA nom, Critics' Choice, and SAG for Actress in a Drama. Um, in Gone Girl, again, Rosamund plays Amy, who is a woman who is sociopathic as fuck. Um, she's psychotic as well. We'll get to that. But it's about a, it's about a couple who... One ends up going, her character ends up, quote unquote, disappearing. The Ben Affleck character who plays her husband goes through this whole gambit of what happened to my wife, then gets blamed for the death, then oopsie, she's alive, and she's got she's psychotic, and just, Brandon, just take it over. <laughs> what do you think? Um, I honestly think it's a lot of fun. Um, I really enjoy this story. I read the book before the movie even came out, back when it was like, you know, a bestseller times 10, and it was like the book everyone was talking about. Um, I read it and I really enjoyed it and I like the movie too. I think it's a lot of fun and Rosamund Pike um, gives a fascinating performance. Um, I love this very cold nature to her. She matches the movie perfectly. Uh, when people complain that they don't like this movie because it's too cold, I don't get it because it's the point. I mean, you can dis, I mean, it, it can not be your cup of tea and that's fine. But I feel like to hold its temperature against it doesn't make much sense when that's the whole tone. I don't know. It's a weird conversation. But um, I think Rosamund Pike matches uh, David Venture's intent perfectly, what he's setting out to tell. Um, I really like this. Um, there's a mechanical nature to this performance, and I think in a good way. Um, there's times where her Amy feels very robotic. Um, like she's going through the motions. Like there's times where it feels like Amy is acting for everyone. Like she is pretending to be a normal person. 
And then there's times where we see this other side of her where she's a little bit more um, emotionless or her, she has like a, oh, what's, what's the phrase for it? I can't remember. There's like an actual psychological phrase, but I can't remember where she's, uh, God damn it. <laughs> I'm, it's going to come to me when I'm not thinking of it, but she has a way of like manipulating people that I think is super fun to watch. Um, the, the strings that she's able to pull and all the people around her, I find endlessly fascinating. Uh, the way she uses the, uh, the Casey Wilson character and like tricks her into thinking that they're best friends <laughs> and then tricks her into getting her piss. And then Casey Wilson comes in during the press conference screaming about her best friend. And you, you know that there's no way in hell Annie would ever consider her a best friend. Um, it's great. And uh, the way that Affleck is able to be so oblivious, I think kind of elevates Rosamund Pike's performance because she is such a mastermind that it makes sense why someone like him would fall into this trap and how she would be able to so successfully pull off this stunt of hers. And I guess it's not 100% successful, but even in the times when there's um, a misstep, she's able to uh, execute a plan B and get it back on track. And uh, she's so cunning and evil. I think Rosamund Pike plays into it so freaking well. Um, there's times where she is subtle in the way that you don't exactly know what's going through her head. Um, she's sort of a brick wall at times. And then there's other moments where her motivation is right there on her sleeve. Uh, like when she comes back covered in blood in this huge, crazy stunt for the press and then, you know, leads her husband later on into the shower. Um, there's no missing what it is that she's doing here. And uh, I think this is a very calculated and carefully constructed performance by Rosamund Pike. And I can see why that wouldn't work for people. Um, this idea that she is literally formulating a blueprint uh, to create this character and everything that she does from beginning to end. But I think it's really fun. And um, I really dig that this genre film and this like femme fatale from hell got nominated for an Oscar. So I went into Gone Girl in the theater with everyone just raving about it. So I was like, it was one of those movies where it was like, oh, God, this is going to go one of two ways. Either I'm going to agree with everybody and it's going to be this great, um, amazing masterpiece. And of course, it's Fincher. I mean, this was his follow up to The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And we all know by now, like, I loved The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. It's probably my favorite film of 2011. Um, and of course, Rooney Mara. And then I was like, yeah, let's do this. And I'm like, or it's going to go the opposite. And I'm going to hate it. And let me tell you, I went the latter. I can't stand this movie. This is Fincher's, I think, weakest, weakest film he's ever done. Um, and uh, Rosamund, is it Rosamund or Rosamund? I'm not entirely sure. I think I say Rosamund, but I don't know if that's right. I can't stand this. I, this is awful. 
she is so first of all i need people to go home or when they're done listening to this i need people to go and youtube quaker accents because the way she talks the way she interacts and the way this accent that she's doing because she's she's british i believe is a quaker accent or it almost reminds me of film periods of like the 40s and 50s I don't know what the fuck Pike was doing here. If this is not it, this is one of those roles too that's beloved by the fans, and I don't understand why. But sorry to break it to you, people. Just like Glenn Close and Fail Attraction, this is a fan only should have won moment. Um, <laughs> the critics, the voting bodies, no one else thinks it's so. <clears throat> anyway, um, this is like that thing, and I don't get it with the fans because I'm like, what are you seeing? And that I am not here. I will say for the record too, I think Pike is like one of those, I just don't understand how she gets work type of actors because she doesn't sell me on anything she does. Um, I don't know. It's very robotic. It's very, it doesn't belong here. The, I, the movie's not great. And it's like, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but at this point it, it, it is a theme in the last couple of episodes. This was a role that originally was secured by Rooney Mara. And then she dropped out to do something else. And I'm just like, what should have been? Um, but yeah, this is not good. This is a really bad nomination. Hmm. But seriously, Google Quaker accents, it matches. It's it's like, why the fuck was she giving this accent? Because it doesn't fit this time period whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> Carrie Coon, on the other hand, should have been a nominee. Rosamund Pike should have been a Razzie nominee. It's okay. Not everyone's a winner. Yeah, not everyone's into, like, the stylized stuff that she's doing. I think it would have been, like I said, I think it would have been great for the 40s and 50s time period, but this doesn't fit here. It kind of makes sense for the um, type of person that she's playing. Perhaps that was um, a reference point or homage of some sort. No me gusta. And I don't... Oh, we do have a question, though, about her from Alex Vestios, also known as Anna Earns the Crown. If Pike had gone supporting, could she have won? I don't know why she would go supporting, but maybe... No, I don't think she would have. Yeah, not with Patricia Arquette there. I don't think anyone was busting through that wall. Yeah. Um, is there actually uh, people who think she's supporting? Is that what that question's implying? I think so. Or maybe Do you think there's any reason for why she should be in supporting? Um, no. I mean, she's got an hour of screen time, and she's she's really only not in it for 20 minutes out of this entire film, so... Yeah, she has her whole, like, side story. Right. And, you know... Yeah, I don't see any reason for why she would be supporting. But, um, yeah, even if she was in that lineup, I don't... I don't think she would triumph. Nope. Nope, nope. I will tell you, though, or I will say... Between things like this, and I mean, I know Sharon Stone wasn't nominated for Basic Instinct, and that should have been, but between like this and Sharon and then Glenn with Fatal Attraction, like the fans really do love the, uh, the, what's the term I want to use for this? The femme, and I don't know if I want to use femme fatale, but you know I what know, I mean? Even, even when I use that word a little bit ago, I know it's not traditionally the definition, but um, I know what you're, I know what you mean. I just can't think of a better word for it. They like the crazies like a revisionist femme fatale i guess yeah 
This is a role that I could see, like a 1990s Sharon Stone just obliterating. I mean, Sharon Stone can obliterate fucking air, so she could do everything. Oh, yeah. Obviously. <laughs> uh, Reese Witherspoon as Cheryl Strait in Wild. This is her second of two nominees or nominations. Um, just per usual with everyone else in this category, pretty much. Nominations from everywhere else. Golden Globes, Actress in a Drama, Beth Nam, Critics' Choice, and SAG. In Wild Again, Reese plays Cheryl. This is the true story of a woman whose life falls apart after she gets addicted to drugs and uh, promiscuous sex, and she loses her mother, who walks the PCT, the Pacific Coast Trail, from start to finish and has to refind herself. Uh, what do we think? Reese with this one in Wild. I think she's pretty good in this movie. I think this movie really plays to Reese Witherspoon's strengths. And I can see why that would be um, a negative for a lot of people. But um, I think it works for her. It gives her a lot of opportunities. Uh, it's a bit of a showcase for her at times. Uh, we see her at this really low point in her life when she's, you know, strung out, uh, going through withdrawal, uh, having sex with any man that um, looks her way and then, you know, falling off the wagon again and then recovering and doing this very strenuous, uh, very difficult uh, activity of hiking this ridiculous trail. And um, I think she does it really well. I think this movie gives her a lot of opportunities and she really capitalizes upon them. Um, this is a character who I find myself rooting for, um, especially, you know, the more we learn about her and um, everything she's been through and what this walk signifies for her, um, what the mission means to her. And I think she does really well here. Uh, she also gives you a lot to work with as a viewer. We get these, you know, explosive uh, bursts of anger, like when her one boot uh, falls down the mountain and she just angrily throws the second one because fuck it. Uh, which seems like something someone would naturally do and then have a moment of, oh, fuck, why'd I do that? And I think she really delivers in those moments. And then, you know, in the I think it's right before that is when she peels off that toenail. And uh, I think that scene's really effective as well. And I kind of feel her pain. It's kind of a, a squirm-inducing moment. Um, and her moments of uh, fear and terror, like when she encounters basically any man on this walk um you get kind of concerned for her and uh you can understand why but um it's a triumphant performance i think uh it's one where when she reaches that bridge at the end which is basically the goal post for this entire walk um i feel genuinely good for her and i'm glad she made it i think she's doing some really wonderful work here in wild yeah, I really, really like her here in Wild. I think this is a way better nomination than Walk the Line, which is funny because she won for that one. Um, like I said earlier with Dern, I think what Jean-Marc Vallée did here as a whole with this film was beautiful. And as someone who lived in Seattle and has been on the PCT and knows what the Pacific Northwest is like in the woods and everything, it just makes me really miss that chapter in my life. So it's also very homey to me in a weird way. Plus, too, I don't know about you, but this is like a movie that when I'm done watching, I feel like I could conquer the world. What do you, I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, sort of. Like, it makes me, like when it ends, it makes me wonder, could I do that? 
And there's yeah. a part of me that says, yeah, I definitely could. And then there's another part of me that's like, mm, but do I want to? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautiful film and Reese does really great work here. Um, this was, there wasn't a moment in this movie where I wasn't rooting for her, even when she was going through her, her hard times in the films, like with Gabby Hoffman and, you know, high on heroin and all that stuff, because we know this is also like still Alice, a movie where, you know, the outcome. So despite what's going on, you know, that she's going to come out on top because it, you know, that this is a book and this is a real person and yada, yada, yada. And, but there's still like th those moments where Reese sells it because we know the ending where it's like, is she going to get through this? And I think that's great. Um, I really like this. This is, this is a, is it weird to call this a fun performance? Because honestly, as a whole, it's pretty fun. I can kind of see what you mean. I mean, it, it is very serious and deals with some very dark subject matter, but it is a performance that gives Reese Witherspoon a lot to do to really showcase what she can do as a performer. I feel like it was, it was written to her strengths and directed to her strengths. And I think in a good way. So, um, I think on the whole, it's a pretty solid Reese Witherspoon outing. It really shows you who she is as a performer. Yeah. Agreed. Good things all around for Reese. Yeah. All right. Finishing up. Uh, Marion Cotillard as Sandra in Two Days, One Night. This is her second of two nominations. And she's a critic's darling in a way going into this. While she gets the Critics' Choice nomination for Best Actress, she also gets a nomination at Cesar, but she wins the National Society of Film Critics and the New York Film Critics Association. So with that said, if you think about it, and I'll get to that when we're done, or actually, I'll just get to it now. Um, Marion was like the only one who had a possible chance of upsetting Julianne Moore. A couple reasons. Number one, she's the only one who wins anything going into this, but despite having showing up nowhere else, we have to remember that this nomination, that year she was being campaigned for the immigrant. There was no campaign uh, to my knowledge of her for two days, one night. So this nomination came from word of mouth. So there's no doubt in my mind that she was second place here, um, which just goes to show you the power of the French. Um, with that said, uh, Mary Han Cotillard again plays Sandra in two days, one night. And she plays a woman who finds out that, which is a really shitty situation, by the way, that she has to convince her coworkers to vote against a bonus to keep her job. Otherwise she loses her job and they get the money. Pretty shitty. Brandon, what do you think? So I really like uh, Marion Cotillard in this. And I also really like the movie. I remember watching it for the first time back when she was nominated and thinking it was just okay. Um, I don't know if I was in the right mindset or maybe I just wasn't mature enough. But I remember thinking it was kind of boring and just not all that thrilling. Um, watching it now, it plays so much differently. It really struck me while watching it, um, how often those who benefit off of the labor of others, how they are so good at pitting the workers against each other and basically distracting us all from the fact that they are the ones fucking everything up. Like, I'm thinking of this now in the context of today's America with, um, so people on unemployment getting more money than people who are a lot of people who are still working. And um, there's a lot of um, anger among essential workers because they're not getting any sort of raise 
or bonus or anything. They're making the same peanuts that they are getting paid before and making less than people who are, you know, at home doing nothing. And the whole conversation has uh, been sort of framed as uh, those who work versus those who don't, when the real issue should be those who pay us should pay us fucking more. Like, that's what it really should all be about. And this movie kind of reminded me of all that because basically this company that she works for uh, wanted to save money and get rid of someone. And uh, they were able to convince people to uniformly, well, not entirely uniformly, but get the majority of people to go along with it, basically with a bribe. And uh, that's pretty shitty. And the people who, you know, voted to get the bonus, um, I think some of them were aware of what exactly the big picture was. It seemed like some of them were misled. But um, these folks are so underpaid for their work. A lot of them are working a second job. They have weird side gigs uh, to help make ends meet. Some of them are the sole breadwinners of their family, despite having this low-wage job, that they are perfectly okay with taking more, even if it means fucking over someone else, when, you know, the real enemy should be the company that's not paying them shit for their work. And it all kind of resonated with me in a really weird way today. And I think Marion Cotillard's performance really brings that to the forefront. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why it is she was chosen as the one to be um, cut. Uh, maybe it's kind of implied at some point, uh, but for whatever reason, she's the one of the 16 or 17 people who's um, terminated or laid off. And um, it's really devastating to her. Uh, I totally buy this um, depression, anxiety state that she's in. Oh, that's what it was. She had to take time off due to her mental health and they realized in the time that she was gone they didn't need her and yeah. they wanted to cut her and they said and they told everyone hey if you agree that we should let her go we'll give you a little money and um now she has to go around collect getting people to change their minds and surrender that 1000 euros and it's hard to really blame the people who agreed to go along with it because they're in shitty situations too but um, at the same time, you do kind of blame them because you're on Marianne's side because she shouldn't have been let go for having to take care of herself. Uh, the fucking company that pays them should just pay everyone a decent wage. It's a really complicated film. It's more complex, I think, than initially meets the eye. Um, and Marianne, I think, gives a very subtle, low-key performance that really pulls the movie along. It's not, you know, a performance that's full of shouting and and big tears, even though she is definitely going through some mental turmoil, um, as evidenced by her self-medication in this film and the times where she sort of zones out, um, which I actually find super compelling. Uh, there's times where she's in bed or in the passenger seat of the car, where she is just completely still and on another planet. And yet there's something so, so 
captivating about those moments. Um, but yeah, I think she's fabulous in this movie. It's a completely different performance than what we saw before in La Vie en Rose. It's almost the complete opposite. It's like almost the opposite of Shelley. Um, not that Shelley is necessarily a bad thing, but here um, it, it's really true to life and grounded in a way that I think this movie really needed. This is sort of, this movie feels very 1960s, 1970s European in that sort of way. And um, I think it, this movie has a lot to say about what's going on today. And I think that more people should, if you're gonna rewatch it, rewatch it through the lens of today, because it, it really hit me in a weird way uh, this last time. Yeah, I remember seeing this in 2014 and I was really, really impressed with this movie. And I was really, really impressed with uh, Marianne's performance. And was it was a nice surprise to see her in this crop of nominees. Um, because essentially she quote unquote took Jennifer Aniston's spot because Jennifer Aniston had cake this year and was nominated everywhere else with everyone else in this lineup. And then Marianne sneaks in and boom, Jenny Aniston's not there, which that's a whole other conversation. Um, but it was weird though, because I remember, so I revisited this because, you know, I hadn't seen it since release and I actually really disliked this movie this time around, but I still really liked Marianne's performance. I just found the movie very hard to get through. And I don't know if that's because, I had already seen it, so I knew what to expect. Because um, I don't really know how much of a rewatchability this movie has. Um, but I think it's definitely a movie that you should see at least once. Um, but Marion's heartbreaking here. Like, just, I've been unemployed. I am unemployed, <laughs> like, due to coronavirus. And it's like, um, so I get, like, what she's feeling and what she's going through. But... You know, it, it, this movie makes you think, like, what would you do in the worker's positions and what would you do in Sandra's position? And I think the movie that a movie that makes you think in the long run is a pretty good film, despite my personal feelings the second time around. Um, but Marianne's just, she's heartbreaking. She sells every moment. This is so subdued compared to La Vie Rose, like you said. Um, and it is just as brilliant. I mean, this is like usually when actors win one Oscar, it's like, is this a one trick pony type thing? If you get what I mean. So to, for a winner to come back almost a decade later or however long it was, I mean, with her and Reese, like it was just like, no, they still, they actually have it good for them. Um, they can do more than just that one thing. Um, plus two, hello, this is another, I, the movie is Belgium, I believe, but it, and they speak Fr French there. So this is another French language film that she's nominated with. So kudos to the Academy for doing that, because I think at this point only Isabella Johnny was the only French actress to pull two French language performances. And now they're tied. Um, so kudos, major kudos. Yeah. All right. Well, to finish up, we do have some questions. One is from Ryan Showers. How is it possible that we have we have one of the best lineups for lead actress and one of the worst lineups in the same year for supporting? I, I don't know. I guess it's, that's just uh, the movies that were made that year. <laughs> that, that's just a, that's the way the cookie crumbles type scenario. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, how to answer that substantively. You know, sorry, Ryan. It's kind of funny. That's the lead actress lineup. I think is far superior to the supporting. Uh, I'm pretty indifferent to the supporting lineup, but there are a handful of nominations and lead that I really dig and I'm glad they're nominated but um 
yeah, there is a it's a pretty stark difference. They're on two entirely different levels for for sure. Oh, one hundred percent. Next question is from where'd you go? Big Tall Drew. This year is a great example of how often films that get a Best Actress nomination are significantly less nominated in other categories, particularly Best Picture, than their Best Actor counterparts. If you're still with me, do you see that problem improving or getting worse? I would like to think it's improving. Um, I don't remember the statistic, but I remember there for a while there was this number floating around of the correlation between um, Best Picture nominees and Best Actor versus Best Picture nominees and Best Actress. Uh, the, the difference is pretty stark. Uh, movies are more likely to be in Best Picture and have a lead, leading man than they are a leading woman. Um, I would like to think that's um, changing, uh, but uh, perhaps not as swiftly as we would like. Now, this, I'm going to bring this up because we have a couple questions here about this. Oh, I, I forgot to answer. Um, I agree with you. <laughs> I, I, I think there's always room for improvement. So it's just one of those things, hopefully, that can do better, you know. And that kind of is a segue into this question. We got a lot of questions regarding, so I'm just going to ask this as a whole. Um, this was kind of the first, see, to my knowledge, I don't remember it being a big, big thing until next year because it was the second year in a row that it had happened. But people want to know our opinions. Oscar So White kind of started with this year. Why do we think that is, and who do we think we would have we would have honored that year? Some of the options that were given were Gugu and Betha Raw and Beyond the Lights and Bell, Quavenjane Wallace, who got a Golden Globe nomination for Annie, Carmen Diogo for Selma. I mean, there were some options. So what are what are your thoughts? Well, I think um, usually when people have this conversation, they try to limit it to the Academy, which is a pretty narrow way of talking about it. Really, it's an it's an issue. Um, that is throughout the industry. Um, films uh, directed by non-white people are far less often produced than films made by white people. And generally people are going to make movies about people that reflect themselves. So um, we simply need to uh, uplift marginalized voices. It's an issue here that we just need to uh, produce more. We need to uplift more voices in order to get more, you know, representation, which will then hopefully um, trickle to the academy. I guess. Yeah. So my my thought has always been on this, and I'm always open for the conversation if, um, if 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 it's welcomed. And you know, Brandon, you and I have talked about this before. So I'm, you know, I'm just going to, because we got to this point, so, you know, now i got to talk about it. I am not a person, I don't think you should nominate someone because of their skin color. Um, black, Asian, Latino, Native American, that's not why we nominate people. Now, do we need more films that are made for people of color to be shown their talent, not even just for being a certain color, but to play these roles? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there roles that deserve to be nominated? Absolutely. I would have uh, put Quavenjane Wallace in this lineup, honestly, too. The movie isn't great, but she's really good in it. Um, but you can't, it's, it's like you can't nominate someone because they're gay. You can't nominate someone because they're straight. Um, in the long run, it's, you know, people always want to talk about, do you honor the merit 
or do you honor the narrative or the politics? You know what I mean? Like it comes up a lot in this. So I think the options are there, but it all comes from the top. In order to get these, you have to green light these projects. You have to fund these projects. You have to get the, the voices out there. Um, you have to get the work there because Viola Davis said it perfectly in her Emmy speech. The only thing that separates women from women of color are opportunity. If there's no opportunity, you can't expect a nomination. And the opportunities that do have, like Carmen, like Gugu, like Quivengine, it, it it's it's tricky. Am I making sense? Uh, mostly, yeah. Um, I don't think anyone's saying that people should be nominated because of who they are. Mm -hmm. I think that's um, a weird framing that happened with this conversation. Uh, people took the idea that there just simply aren't enough um, for there aren't enough opportunities uh, for non-white people, or non-white people just simply aren't given opportunities they could be, and it was sort of reframed as this. Uh, just nominate more black people sort of thing, which caused this whole stir about merit when that was never really the conversation. Um, it's kind of that kind of similar to what I was talking about two days, one night where the people up top seem to always find a way to pit people against each other. Um, yeah, I don't think that was ever really part of the conversation, but um, yeah, Viola's point that you can't nominate performances that don't exist, I think is very prescient. And uh, those films simply just need to get produced. They are financially backable. They are marketable. Uh, there is uh, an audience for those films. Uh, this has been proven time and time and time again. And for some reason, uh, those movie movies just don't seem to get made still. And um, it's a huge issue. And when those movies do eventually start getting made and there is more diversity among the crop of actors that year. Um, I think this whole uh, Oscars so white scenario will slowly uh, fade away, but those movies have to be made first and foremost. Exactly, exactly. It's, you know, I still have a gripe that, you know, Halle Berry is the only woman of color to win lead actress when there have been plenty of opportunities from women who've been nominated since and even those who haven't been nominated, like Quavengine and Annie, um, you know, it, they, it goes beyond the Oscars. It goes, like we said, to the top and then trickling down. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that stuff like this, I don't know if this is weird to say, I'm so glad that stuff like this happens to open up these conversations and dialogues to then create the change. Because I feel like if you don't talk about something, nothing gets done. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know what, let's just, you know how this shit works? Go buy the ticket, go see the movie, rent it. Every time you purchase something, purchase a ticket, you're voting, you're showing the big bosses that this shit sells from everybody. That's how we make the change. Do it. Yeah, it's that whole vote with your wallet sort of thing. Yep. It's all of us. It's all of us to make the change. So let's get to our rankings. All right. Well, uh, as a reminder, your supporting actress nominees were Patricia Arquette for Boyhood, Laura Dern for Wild, Kira Knightley for The Imitation Game, Emma Stone for Birdman, and Meryl Streep for Into the Woods. I'm giving my number five spot to Meryl Streep for Into the Woods. Um, I see that she's doing some very um, specific stuff here, 
And, you know, she's Meryl, so she makes it look effortless. It's just not my thing. So of this lineup that I, on the whole, don't really care for, this is just the one that I care for the least. So uh, Meryl's my number five for Into the Woods. I'm giving Patricia Arquette number five here. Um, this is soap opera acting. It's not very good. Um, she's probably the least impressive for me out of the five, and it's just, mm-mm, no bueno. My number four is Emma Stone for Birdman. Um, I think she's solid in this film, and uh, she has some pretty decent um, opportunities uh, to seize upon. But um, looking back on it now, you can definitely see the growth that Emma Stone has um, undergone in the last few years. So even though she's great in it, um, she's only going to be my number four for Birdman. Um, number four for me is also Emma Stone. We're agreeing here. Um, I would have probably had her a lot higher if this podcast was around in 2014, but this is just, just as one of those roles that aged well, and we've seen her do way better. So Emma Stone, you're at four. Kira Knightley is my number three for the imitation game. Um, she's doing pretty well here, uh, but... It's not spectacular to me in any regard. So uh, Kira Knightley's is just my number three for Imitation Game. Uh, number three for me is Laura Dern. Um, loved her in this. I have nothing bad to say about it. Um, and it is exactly what I need in such a small role. I mean, like you said, it is the Penelope Milford effect. Um, but the last two just do a lot more for me. So unfortunately, it's just one of those things where don't want to put her lower than three don't, and can't really put her higher. My um, runner-up is Laura Dern for Wild. I think Laura Dern's great here. And yeah, she's definitely giving us that Penelope Milford effect that we haven't talked about in a long time. And um, I totally see why she was nominated for this. Um, I think people that say she didn't deserve it are silly. Uh, but Patricia Arquette, on this latest rewatch, the weight of this character really hit me uh, this time. And I don't want to make it too personal, but there were moments while rewatching it where I saw like flashes of my mom and um at very specific points that i don't really want to get into for personal reasons but um it hit me in a completely different way and um i'm so glad i rewatched it because patricia arquette would be at least a couple notches lower um had i not but um i think this is a perfectly uh fine win and uh considering i'm not super thrilled with this lineup i'm perfectly all right with her being my winner this year for boyhood so my runner-up is Keira Knightley, which you were correct, Brandon, I, which really took me by surprise. I, I really want to hear why you even thought that I would go for this. But Meryl Streep is my number one. Knightley came in second place, I believe, for me, too, with Pride and Prejudice that year. Um, she's fantastic here. I think she's really good. I think this role deserves a lot more than it gets. Meryl, though, this here's the thing. I've said it before. came from musical theater background. I know how hard musical theater is to carry a shitty movie <laughs> and to just rock this and how much work that I know personally goes into Sondheim with the witch it, it this is just spectacular this is such an underrated Meryl performance this is I would say for me this is mm, I think I'm gonna be bold here that's probably top five Meryl probably coming in at number five for me but um this Meryl is so goddamn good here and y'all really need to give her some more respect on this because you do not put Meryl in a corner with this one at all so Meryl Streep I gotta go as my winner all right. Why did you think I was going there? Um, I was just kind of looking at the lineup. I, I'm, I knew you didn't care for Arquette. 
I first I didn't see Knightley winning for you, um, or really Emma Stone. I almost said Dern, but for some reason Meryl seemed like a, a Joeyism. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Well, it's funny because as of now, I have Meryl with three wins, and none of them are her actual wins. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Uh, as a reminder, your lead uh, nominees were Felicity Jones in The Theory of Everything, Julian Moore in Still Alice, Reese Witherspoon in Wild, Marion Cotillard in Two Days, One Night, and Rosamund Rosamund Pike as in Gone Girl. Uh, number five is Rosamund Rosamund Pike. Awful. Trash. Goodbye. My number five is Felicity Jones for The Theory of Everything. Just it's the one that does the least for me. So um, Felicity Jones is number five for the theory of everything. Uh, number four is this year's winner, Julianne Moore. This is uh, not a bad win, um, but let's just be honest with ourselves. This win was not based off of merit. This was a 100% overdue narrative for the campaign win. Um, that's really why this is. Let's truly be honest with ourselves here, people. Um, and with that, she's just not the best in this lineup. So number four. Julianne Moore is also my number four for Still Alice. I think this is a perfectly fine uh, Julianne Moore performance, and I don't think it deserves quite the flack that it gets, uh, but I prefer the other three, I suppose. So Julianne Moore's my number four for Still Alice. My number three is Marion Cotillard. I gave her the win in 2007, which I think was a shock to you at that time, because I think you were putting me for Juno there. Um, great performance. Great performance, but this, after revisiting uh, The Theory of Everything and revisiting Wild and revisiting this, my top three became very, very easy for me to do. Um, I will say on the night of the Oscars, she was my winner. I was really, really hoping for an upset here, but now she is number three. My number three is Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl. Um, I really enjoy watching this performance and... Uh, watching all the gears turn and how all the jigsaw puzzle pieces come together. Um, but uh, I suppose uh, in this lineup, she can only crack my number three, though. So Rosamund Pike, uh, it is for Gone Girl. If we had done this podcast in 2014, there was no way this would have ever happened um, at all. My runner-up is Felicity Jones, which means I'm giving Reese Witherspoon the win. Now, let me go back to the comment I just said. Jones would have easily been number four. Um, this was a what the fuck nomination six years ago. This is a highly deserved nomination for me now. Um, this is beautiful work as she is easily my favorite thing about that movie. Witherspoon though, fantastic. I mean, you were right on both accounts, so good for you. Uh, this is just wonderful and it's a movie. It's the only movie in this lineup. I feel like, yeah, Felicity Jones' movie has that like great ending to where it's like happily ever after, but this is like, you feel like you accomplished something and you feel really good and you can tackle the world. And that is due to Reese Witherspoon and Jean-Marc Vallée. So Reese is my winner this year. Reese Witherspoon's my runner up for Wild. Uh, I love her in this. I think this is a great uh, showcase for Reese Witherspoon. I completely see why people say this should have been her win. And I completely agree. It is far superior to her actual win. Uh, but Marion Cotillard is uh, splendid in Two Days, One Night. Uh, this is such a powerful performance in a very understated sort of way. Uh, she completely carries this film and pulls you along for the entire runtime. 
And I really felt this character's struggle and um, inner turmoil. And it really got me thinking about uh, the world at large, specifically, you know, American capitalism and um, how I would uh, respond, uh, whether I be the Marion Cotillard character or the co-workers. Uh, so it's a movie that really just got me thinking. And I think Cotillard is a huge reason for that. I think this is a, a really powerful, uh, small little performance. So uh, Marion Cotillard is my winner and lead actress. Hey, I got you on one. Yeah. That was nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So again, uh, Reese Witherspoon and Meryl Streep are my winners this year. Yeah, and I have Marion Cotillard and Patricia Arquette. Very nice. Very nice. All right. We will see you all in 2015 on the count of three. Big goodbye. One, two, three. Big goodbye. goodbye.